Hello, and welcome to another episode of Ship Talking. I'm your host, Brandon, and this week, I'm very happy to welcome back our audio engineer to the co-host seat. George, just please tell me you're not a Terran imposter like James was last week. That information is incredibly classified, Brandon, and if I were to give it to you, I'm afraid <laughs> you might have to end up in one of those scary torture booths that I've forgotten the name of. Agony booth. No. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, you know what? We're still investigating how to get our actual James back, but sure, look, we will uh, we'll figure it out, And um, but I, I appreciate everyone who reached out and heard my captain's log entry and passed along good thoughts. Well, on this week's episode, we'll be sitting down with Trek artist Tim Davies to talk some ship. I have a feeling this is going to be a brilliant one because he has the same second name as me, which obviously uh, means yeah. he's a man of quality. <laughs> you must be related somewhere down the line. Uh, but Tim goes by Suricata in the Trek universe, so you may be more familiar with that name. He creates master system displays, acudograms, and gets to have fun figuring out ship layouts versus what we saw on screen compared to their schematics. The chat with Tim during the episode is going to be 14 minutes long, and our patrons that are subscribed via Patreon at the Enterprise C tier or higher will have access to the full expanded chat. Its runtime is around 45 minutes. Yeah, and the expanded edit includes more discussion on some of the topics you're going to hear today, as well as other topics that didn't make the show simply due to episode length constraints. Now before we meet up with Tim, we're going to discuss your answers to the most recent community queue, ask a new one, and then after the chat, we'll warp on over to this week's All Hands on Deck drill and announce our next guest. We've got a lot of ship to talk about, so let's get going and beam over to this week's Community Q segment. For this week's Community Q, we asked you all, if you were in Starfleet and stationed on a ship, which section of it would you most like to work in? So, our most submitted, and while I knew it would be popular, I actually didn't expect it to be number one, and that is engineering. That's no surprise, you know, you'd think everyone wants to be captain, everyone wants to be captain, but then you look at the context of, like, you know, our podcast, our listeners... It's definitely going to be engineering. This is just, this is all about the bulkheads here. <laughs> that That is true. I, I did expect the bridge to be number one, but actually, and it almost beat engineering, it was astrometrics that came in second. And then the bridge in third, which had a lot of submissions, but it didn't come close to engineering or astrometrics. Also, the armory was more submitted than other sections not yet mentioned. That is strange, especially astrometrics. I mean, you know, that's quite a specialist section of the ship, but I was having a think about it, and I suppose astrometrics is kind of where you get all of your, you know, strange anomalous readings and we yeah. should go over there and check out this freaky black hole that, that's singing Rick Astley at us. We, it, it's so, <laughs> so mysterious. It could do, it could be a really great filler episode, you know. You gotta be that person who dispenses the missions and the quests and the information. So it's kind of not surprising, I suppose. I love it. So if you're an astrometrics, you're basically the side quest or main quest giver. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I also gotta give a shout out to our one brave community member who said they'd most like to work in janitorial service I'm not sure if this was a troll or not, but you know what? Fair play for submission anyways. Depends on the ship you're on. On the Defiant, you've got to clean up those explodey rocks that seem to come out of every yeah. panel. On the Enterprise, you know, maybe one episode it's half turned into a Mayan temple. That's a lot of work to clean it up. <laughs> yeah, that's true. For the next community queue, we want to know if you prefer ships with nacelles that are housed over the hull or those that swing underneath. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone's thoughts on this one because we have had quite a few discussions about nacelles and where they're housed, but do send in your answers via email, the submission form on our website, or just shoot us a tweet. But for now, Brandon, let's head down to Tenford and meet Tim as I just got word that he's been directly there from his ship. Cool, let's go.
After I started working at Perfect World, uh, the bridge of the Intrepid came out for Delta mm -hmm. Rising. And the first thing I noticed in the internal screenshot was it didn't have an MSD on it. Right. I was just like, no, it's missing it. And I reached out to the guys over at Cryptic. I think it was Nick and Thomas at the yep, time yep. I was talking to. And I asked them about it and they said that, you know, it's, it's down to the wire course, and they didn't yeah. have time. And they said, well, if you have time to do it, you can do it. But, you know, it was a two-day turnaround time. If anyone's up to the task with that, I, I know it would be you. So I made it in two yeah. days. I remember at the time my ex, she was just like, why are you staying up all night working on that? No one's going to care about it. And I was just like, no, this is important. It needs to be done. So I did the Voyager MSD. And I sent it to Thomas and he did the surrounding Lacars with uh, uh, some guys in his team. And yeah, we went out and we uh, then went to Destination Star Trek and I printed them as posters to give away to all the people at the booth. Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing so that. So I, I, we did that and that was the first time I'd actually seen my artwork in print. And that was just like, it kind of, amazing. it felt amazing. I bet. And then yeah, when they got round to doing the Galaxy class and they asked me if I could do the Lucars again. So I did all the engineering panels there. And that's when I started getting an urge to do more of these things. Mm. Uh, so then I did an Enterprise E MSD. I did a Nova class. And then the biggest project I did was with the Space Nine revamp. I did all the acudograms for the entire station. And they're gorgeous. You know, our listeners may not know what acudograms are or MSD. So I'd love if you took us through kind of that process and overall philosophy or what these are and why they're important in Trek history. But also, you know, since we're all about ship talking, why they're important for the ships themselves. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, that's, that's one hell of a question <laughs> for Mike Akuda, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> I think Star Trek's really interested in that regard to, you know, you can see with the original series that they just put buttons everywhere and right. back then there was no such thing as a graphical user interface it didn't exist that wasn't until years later so they were trying to figure out how a computer looped and worked before people were actually using computers yeah which is crazy. pretty bizarre and then i remember being at college in the 90s right i remember working on the apples at the time and trying to do graphics because uh, i was studying graphic design and they were slow they would take like five ten minutes to load wow. the computer up and to start yeah. the program so the stuff that they did in next generation it boggles my mind uh mm. we're so used to computers being so fast now right you don't realize what computers were like back then and yeah, it's amazing yeah. what they did and and the work mike did with making just like you know just buttons and making these screens with the big sweeping shapes on it to look like it's a, a high-tech computer yeah but they don't stand up to time when you look at them now close up it's right, just like it right. makes no sense <laughs> but it didn't matter back then because again tvs were not as good as they are now you didn't have 4k televisions mm. right so a lot of the details that you saw in the show like the acudograms which were really detailed you wouldn't see them they were just a blur yeah right. um, same as msds it's like we never really got to see them that close up unless there was like one or two episodes that did a zoom in just imagine how good they could look now i mean because originally it was uh, like glass panels with lights behind and then eventually they got on to using chroma key stuff yeah. for some of the animation -y stuff but mm -hmm. these days they go okay we're going to use tactile interfaces holographic interfaces but a really good LCARS interface that moves and reacts to when you touch it and, you know, the things that we take for granted now with touchscreen interface design. Yeah. Well, that's how it was meant to be. Yeah. That, if, if you look at what Mike says about when he did it, that was the intention of LCARS all the time, that it was mm. reacting to everyone's touch. So it wasn't, it was meant to be that way, but obviously they couldn't, with the budget, uh, do that. It'd be amazing to see that realized. What's really interesting is when I'm making the recreations is just getting the colors correct because mm. it changed throughout the show, but they had these kind of black prints which were transparent and they glued uh, plastic onto the back of it which was like mm. the films they put over the lights oh the gels yeah right and they, they kind of glued that to the back to get the colors yep. and then they put it behind a piece of tinted black glass 
and then it was lit with fluorescent tubes behind. But what that means is, and you see it everywhere with everyone's uh, replicas, is they use the colors that the graphics were printed at, mm. but not how they visually looked when they went through black mm. glass and lit with a, oh, a tube. Right. And that's something I've spent quite a lot of time trying to figure out. And I can feel it now. There's stuff I've done five years ago, and I look at it now, and I'm just like, it's the wrong color. Uh, <laughs> this is an issue that we've heard from many, many, many of our guests who have worked on any level of design, yep. and especially when it comes to replication of prior designs, they'll say, but on the show it looks, you know, like a grey, very light blue, yeah. and then when you're given the hex code of the original paint scan, it's like bright blue, and, and it doesn't make any sense, and yeah, it's the human eye and the way it was shot in the background yep. and the lighting, and I, yeah, I can't believe how much work that must be. Yeah. I noticed this when I did the Enterprise D uh, graphics, so I took so many screenshots, but when they redid the HD version, the next generation, right, and you can see that the sets are made of wood, because mm -hmm. it's HD now, you can mm. see the screws in places, you can see the wood kind of in some areas yeah. as well where it's just like just sticking out and, and if you ever go to one of the conventions you see the props it's like they have not stood up very well it's like they were amazing <laughs> at the time but they never were intended to have that kind of scrutiny so when you see a prop now from the show back then you, you look at it and you're just like is this a real one or is yeah. it just like a cheap knockoff because in your heads when you see a phaser you expect it to be like almost a real phaser right right and when you see it and it's made of wood and it's not painted properly <laughs> you can see the the plastic chipped through it. it's just like is that what they used? Yeah. And the same with the ships, right? If, but when you saw them on the show, they were incredible. Um, it's Yeah, I, I find it fascinating looking at all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was the same thing with the actual Enterprise studio model from the original series. Margaret Weidekamp was on one of our previous episodes and spoke about how one side of the Enterprise hull was just all holes. And, you know, it wasn't actually fleshed out. That's why we only saw the Enterprise from one side in TOS, mm. because the other side was used to hold it up and for the wiring and all that. And of course, now as we've moved to CGI, even some of the CGI models are not fully fleshed out because they're only meant to flash on screen or move by and you wouldn't see those details. But, you know, like especially with season three of Discovery, I'm like, I want to see all those details. Yeah. And you can tell they haven't been fully fleshed out um, because they weren't up on screen long enough to need to be. There wasn't that scrutiny to it. But yeah, I know exactly what you're saying in terms of looking at those old props. And I think when you were talking about some of the interiors and the L cars and the acutograms, some of my favorite displays that we got to see was, of course, in the back of the bridge, those beautiful displays mm -hmm. of the ships. And I know we refer to them as as MSDs, Master Systems Displays, but you, of course, have a lot of work put into some of your own art that has been around MSDs themselves, and I imagine that process of imagining what a ship interior is like when we haven't actually seen that full interior or we don't have a technical manual on it, it takes some creativity from your side. Oh, I'd love doing that. My history as well, I was actually in the Navy oh, many right. years back. I was an engineer, okay. so I'm very much kind of I think about how systems work and how everything interacts. Yeah. Um, and especially with naval architecture, what many people don't realize is that you don't design a ship and then put things in it. Right. But what you do is you find out what you're going to put in the ship. Yeah. And then you design the ship around all the items. So, for example, a modern warship, you decide what the capabilities are. Then you decide what items you need. So maybe weapons. Yeah. Then you decide how much power is needed to power all these systems. So you figure out the power systems and it all kind of builds out from an initial brief of what the ship's meant to be right and that's how i kind of try to approach ship designs mm -hmm. um whereas that's not how it is in tv right it's the rule of cool yeah um, yeah and that's what i love about what rick and mike did in the next generation they did the tech manual and really tried to um figure out how everything should it be. works it all works <laughs> yeah so when i do my msds i, I basically i start with 
the engineering systems first. Mm-hmm. I figure out where things are. Um, well, mm-hmm. the fifth thing I actually do is I get the silhouette correct. Right. Um, you'll find that a lot of silhouettes are, and it's this is no judgment on the guys that worked on the show. People don't realize the turnaround time these guys had yeah, to do yeah. things. What the guys knocked out on the show and the time did is amazing. The Enterprise EMSD is a good example of the silhouette mm-hmm. is completely wrong. Likely because the MSD was made before the studio model was even made. Oh, good point. Okay. Yeah. On the Enterprise E, when you scale the people on there, they're about a meter tall um, if you actually oh, scale wow. it. So that's when I'm going through, I'm basically making sure that everything is kind of to the correct scale and adding a few Easter eggs here and there. Well, <laughs> since you mentioned Easter eggs, that's, I think, some of the coolest parts of MSDs is trying to find them all mm-hmm. in there. I know we've seen some very interesting ones show up, like in the Galaxy one originally that Mike Akuda had put in. And I know yeah. we had some fans on Twitter talking talking about it and Mike actually chimed in and that was kind of fun to see but I imagine you've uh, had your fair share of putting some hidden things in there I think for my Enterprise E I added about 50 Easter eggs oh, to wow. it wow. Uh, <laughs> so I have a TARDIS in quite a few of my MSDs alright yeah. I have the arc reactor from uh, Iron Man uh, oh cool it's a, it's a fusion reactor yeah. which uh, they're supposed to be there that's true <laughs> um, I have the bridge from Galaxy Quest I use that quite a lot as the auxiliary that's bridge great. on my MSDs <laughs> uh, yeah I, I, I hide a lot of stuff in them, um, but I'm, I'm always a little bit wary because I don't want to get into trouble. For, <laughs> ah, <laughs> a little bit of creative liberty. So my Enterprise DMSD is 100% a replica of the original one. I just changed it a tiny little bit, the silhouette, but that one I tried to keep as true as possible. And it does have the DC-3 in there, um, in the yeah. hangar. Oh, nice. Um, there's a toilet as well. Uh, right near the center of the, the, the saucer. You can actually see the WC. Very nice. So there is one ship's toilet on the Enterprise D. <laughs> For the <Yeah>. 2,000 people. <laughs> well, hey, it could just get beamed out, right? And put right into the replicators, as we've come to find out. But yeah, something that you said was really interesting in terms of being able to look at the interiors. And I imagine there is some creativity that has to go into it, too, because there's a lot to kind of figure out and fit into an area. And I mean, if you can get Discovery in Season 3 with that cavernous turbo lift system... <sighs> my favorite topic so i was actually building an msd for the discovery uh, uh-huh. but when the show started uh, i used something called vanishing point in photoshop to use screenshots i can get an actor's height they're very easy and then i can kind of extrapolate the, the size of the rooms mm. oh, so cool. i was doing that with discovery when it came out and i actually extrapolated the length of discovery from the shuttle bay to be about 750 meters long okay which it was i was right, really right, happy right. so it, it proved right. that it worked maths maths people this nice. is why you study yeah, maths. The power of maths so it all worked um i started putting the rooms in place burnham's quarters you know every time i was saw an episode and saw something happen mm-hmm. i was like okay that room's there um then season two hit <laughs> and we saw that cavern <laughs> and i was just like okay um i love the idea of it i absolutely love the idea of the cavern uh the idea that a ship could have you know you've got your computer cores you've got all this equipment mm-hmm. around the ship having a kind of maintenance tunnel in the center of the ship to be able to move stuff out yeah i think that's fantastic it's such a cool idea and you know the enterprise d people have done lots of research onto this the, the crew is about what 1012 mm-hmm. the ship is too big yeah. um mm-hmm. the crews for starfleet ships are so tiny the chance you would ever bump into anyone in these ships is just <laughs> so the idea actually to me that the ships have these large areas for moving equipment around uh, you know mm-hmm. even if it's just large fuel tanks fusion reactors and, and having like a, a point at the ship where you can open it and just you know move all the yeah. i think it's a great idea i think the tng tech manual said that uh, the galaxy class or at least it was imagined that ships were 35 percent empty space yes yeah, okay. I said that in the tech manual. Um, the problem comes with Discovery as the third season. Uh, I, I did an analysis for that space because I, I tried to fit everything into my MSDs. And yeah, I... <laughs> 
Impossible. <laughs> Not in that final f with the fist fight on the uh, on the yeah. elevator. Yeah. I, I measured the height of the turbo lift, and then I could see how many little junctions it was going past. Right. And I think I wor it worked out it was like forty-seven decks. And forty-seven. Hmm. That sounds about right. Um. I I think the discovery needs to be about five times longer than the galaxy class. Uh, oh, wow. for that space to fit in. Okay. Um, it's a shame, right? Rule of cool. Maybe it's some TARDIS tech. Maybe it was just going in a circle and we just couldn't tell it was going in a, in a loop. But Yeah, uh... the, the Discovery actually has advanced holographic technology to make the internal of its, <laughs> its uh, areas look much cooler than they are. There was actually a <laughs> tiny little tube going back and forward. I think for me it was more I got confused with why would they use turbo lifts in the first place because they're at a point where they've got site-to-site -site transporters and they're using them all yeah. the time. So to have a whole yeah. turbo lift network, I, I get the idea of why they were doing it. But this is a thing I have with Discovery a little bit as well, like the detached nacelles. Yeah. But I like this. This is thing. I mean, we're using our thoughts of what technology is in TNG area, which is mm -hmm. what 23rd, 24th century, and trying to compare it to 32nd century. Yes. This is exactly. This is a lot of years in the future. And we know how fast technology advances, like, you know, in a couple decades. Imagine, yeah. you know, 1100 years from our future. Really, anything's possible. Who knows? Absolutely. Tim, we know you've got a ton of art to get back to. But before you get yeah. back to it, and before we let you go, you know what's coming. We've got five rapid fire questions for you that we'd like your very first answer that comes to mind. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, Tim. What's your favorite ship? It's tie off between the Enterprise E or the Enterprise A. Pick one. Uh, e. What's your favorite series? TNG. Favorite captain? Picard. And if you were headed into Starfleet Academy and had to pick one of the three career tracks, command science or engineering, which would you go with? Oh, I'd go engineering, but I'd want to transfer to command later on. And in your opinion, which hero ship do you think is in the most desperate need of an interior overhaul due to its MSD layout versus what we saw on screen? So, Defiant Docking Ports, the Discovery Cavernous Void. What a question. <laughs> Enterprise E needed a lot of work. Oh, this is a hard one. The, the Voyager one was the most accurate by far. Uh, and okay. The Defiant is also pretty good. I would say it was the Enterprise E that was really required a lot of work because the silhouette was off. Okay. But, um... Maybe Discovery at the moment. I'm trying to do a Discovery one, and it's really difficult. <laughs> fair That's... enough, fair enough. That sounds about right. They keep changing the ship. <laughs> I imagine that would make your work a bit hard. <laughs> you need an MSD that evolves on its own. Exactly. Well, Tim, good luck with that. Thanks for beaming over to join us for this week's episode. While you get back, George and I are going to jump into this week's All Hands on Deck segment. This week's drill, community members were put in a command position and asked, if you were the Emperor of the Terran Empire for a day, what task would you first delegate to your fleet and which Mirror Universe ships would be involved? Since we've had so much Mirror Universe and Terran action on the podcast in the last week or two, <laughs> I thought, okay, let's continue it on. And we got some interesting responses. So in terms of ships, Dreadnoughts were actually the most mentioned, which makes sense because they definitely are powerful and would give the Emperor a power trip to be using. So those Dreadnoughts included the mirror versions of the Vengeance, the Galaxy X, which is that beefed up version of the Galaxy class from All Good Things, and the Typhoon. Also, the Mirror Defiant came up a bit, mm. but it was actually kind of unclear if they were referring to the Connie version or if it was the Escort from DS9. Makes sense that there'd be a lot of Dreadnoughts. Like you say, it's kind of an intimidation power trip thing. Yeah, In yeah. the Trek universe, where you're constantly constrained by the Federation not wanting to go out and out on having supermassive death machines and warships and right. whatnot. The Mirror Universe is a good excuse to have all of those things in massive abundance, plus 
obnoxious facial hair. So, you know, like, <laughs> it, it makes sense to me. All the goatees, all the goatees. <laughs> In terms of what the Emperor would command the fleet to do, there was lots of talk about absorbing the Dominion and fortifying Bajor, mm -hmm. also raiding the Prime Universe and taking control of the four quadrants of the Milky Way, and, of course, ensuring an end to the Federation. If you've got some kind of evil scheme in line for your home universe, why not spread that to neighboring parallel universes <laughs> as well? Spread the love, spread the facial hair, you know, give everyone an opportunity to have their massive evil dreadnought ships. Why not? So if you want to participate in the weekly drills, make sure to follow us on Twitter as we announce them there towards the end of each week. Well, if you can believe it or not, we've come to the end of yet another episode. We have. But before we remind everyone of how to get in contact with us and engage with the community, George, will you do us the honors of sharing the news for our next guest? Absolutely, it'd be my pleasure. So this is actually going to be in two weeks' time, as we're off to Ryzen next week for a brief shore leave, but then we're back with legendary Trek Ships videographer Alan Kayan, also known as Zeph Films. Zeph's work is absolutely stunning, and I think it's going to be a very unique conversation and an opportunity to talk to someone who has to look at ships and figure out the best ways to have them come to life in video form. This is going to be an especially interesting one, because I think we've had a lot of discussions with people who are involved in design and production and implementation in video games, but in terms of videography and how to tell a story with video with a ship on screen this is going to be a perspective i think we've not had a huge amount of before 100 agree and you know what i actually think what he does for trek fans should be marked for mature audiences because it's basically ship porn <laughs> <laughs> but okay but enough on that don't forget hailing frequencies are always open head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message via the submission form and while you're there check out our merch we've got mugs for your rack to gino hoodies to keep you warm journals for all your ship doodles and so much more and it really means a lot to us to see the community wearing our logo and your support is used for everything needed to make the podcast happen including hosting fees equipment and more i know i'm personally waiting for the solid gold hat budget to come into place because i really feel my, my head is not adorned to the measure it should be another great way to support us is to become a member of our patreon community and you can get a link via our website or just go to patreon.com ship talking pod in exchange for a pledge, we have some exclusive benefits, including 400 extra minutes of painstakingly edited expanded discussions with our special guests, and even the ability to talk to some of them directly on a daily basis via our special VIP Discord channel. Many of the ship artists are frequently in there each day talking and sharing some of their artwork, and for those of you that are able to support us, we really do appreciate your support. As mentioned, it goes towards everything we need to make the show happen, which we love to do and hope you all enjoy each week. Please also reach out to us anytime via email we're at hello at shiptalkingpod.com. Send in your feedback and entries for the community queue, and we promise to reply to each email we get. We're also on Twitter via at shiptalkingpod. Our amazing community manager James is there and shares daily ship facts and more. It's actually a very fun and active place to engage with your fellow community members. So, James, thanks for all you do, and thanks for everyone who participates. If you want to drown your sorrows in Trek ship facts, he's kind of like our Guinan on Twitter. He's just, he's there for you. <laughs> Um, he is, he is. And the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us by searching Ship Talking Pod wherever they get their podcasts, or just send them to our website for a direct link. Also, of course, a big thank you to you, George, for all your epic work behind the scenes on all the audio production, as our episodes wouldn't go live without you. It's always a lot of fun. And last but certainly not least, a huge thank you to our amazing listeners and community, and our supporters on Patreon. You make this all possible, and we want to thank each of you for welcoming us into your earlobes each week. Especially if you're Ferengi, because you've got a lot of earlobe space to fill. <laughs> but yes, thank you all, and we'll chat to you in two weeks' time. Chat then. Bye. Bye.
especially if you're Ferengi because you've got a lot of earlobe space to fill. Brandon wins the prize for grossest thing said on the podcast. <laughs>